Shall we all stand together and pray? And ask the Lord, Lord, give me a listening heart. And give me an obedient heart. Give me a heart that reveals your word and submits to the authority of the word. I encourage you, brothers and sisters, don't be passive, but be active listeners and seek the face of the Lord at this time. Heavenly Father, we bow before your throne of grace, knowing that you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords and the glorious one who is seated on the throne, the sovereign one who controls all things, who accomplishes the purposes of your heart, the one with whom nothing is impossible, the one who is going to judge the living and the dead, and the one who, in order to save sinners, sent his beloved son to pay the price for our sins so that we, through faith in him, would be saved. And we thank you for the gift of the Holy Scripture you have given to us to teach us and correct us and rebuke us and train us in righteousness so that we may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And we, at this time, O oh Lord, confess that we are not living the way that you designed us and not living according to the way that you have commanded in your word but we have the desire O oh lord to live according to your word and we plead with you for the empowering enlightening life-changing work of the holy spirit in our hearts as we listen to your word and give us your grace to fix our eyes upon the person christ and i have our hearts devoted to your word to your teaching we commit ourselves to the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. We thank you that you are the Lord who is good and your steadfast love endures forever and your love for us is never dependent on our moral performance but always on your grace. And because of that, we want to live holy, godly lives by the help of the Holy Spirit. So we pray that you keep our minds away from the schemes of the devil who seeks to distract us, seeks to devour the word that gets into our hearts. We pray that you destroy his works and we pray that you fulfill your will and release the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our midst. In the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who loved us and gave his life for us and who is returning, we offer this prayer. Amen. Amen. Yeah, please be seated. I remember in the year 2012, in the month of August, I heard the news, I still have that vividly in my mind, that uh, the psalmist of the Telugu states passed away. And if you remember his name is Brother Isana in 2012, month of August. And I was saddened to hear that this great singer has passed away because I love his songs and uh, which exalts the grace of the Lord so much. And uh, I shared the news with my family and told that uh, Brother Esana has passed away, it's a sad thing. And, uh, and this was in 2012 when I told my sons and Joy was eight years old at the time and Joe was six years old and I told them that when people of God die, we don't use the word dead, we say that asleep. So Brother Esana is not dead, he is asleep. And they get the point. On the same day evening, I remember going to my elder's brother's house in Arsipuram. And when I went and visited their house, I saw the aquarium, no fish in the aquarium, and all fish are gone. And then I asked and inquired my uh, brother's family, what happened to the fish in the aquarium? And they said that they're all dead. 
And once they said that, they're all dead. Immediately, Joy said, no, 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 no. The fish are not dead. They are asleep. But we know that this only applies to the believers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we go ahead and listen to this 1 Corinthians 15, which speaks about the resurrection of the dead, I would like to remind you of three facts from the Holy Bible. Three facts from the Holy Bible. And if you live by this way, our Christian life would be significantly different if we keep this in mind. The first thing, I'm preparing the ground before we delve into the exposition of 1 Corinthians 15. And the first fact that we have to know, the Bible says clearly, and we live very wisely if we put this fact every day before us. That is, life is short. Life is short. You live here only for a few years. And even the long life that you live appears like a twinkle of an eye. I remember when I was a small child and I grew into teens and then into young adulthood. And now I am above uh, this year I'll be 46. And it seems like a twinkle of an eye. Time just passed away. And maybe if God gives me more grace, I may live for 50 or 60, but then I'm gone. And the whole life seems to be like a twinkling of an eye. Life is short. Whether you are suffering, know that your life is short. Whether you are facing temptations, know that your life is short. Whether you are enjoying the good things in this world, know that your life is short. Psalm 90 verse 10 reminds us, the years of our life are 70 or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. But not many people are so blessed to live in this age for 60 years or 70 years. We know that every day lakhs of people die. And one day it will be our fact also. And we need to understand that life is short. The other thing that we need to understand, the Bible speaks here is that death is inevitable. Death is inevitable. No one can escape from death. We see here in Ecclesiastes chapter 8 verse 8, No man has power to retain the spirit or power over the day of death. What it says is that no one can escape death. We all have to face it. And nobody can escape it. You may have power over many things. But no one has power over deaths. And Ecclesiastes in the same book chapter 5 verse 15 also reminds us that as he came from his mother's womb, he shall go again naked as he came and shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry away in his hand. The second, the same thing it says that when you die naked you came and naked you go. No matter how many degrees you earn, accomplishments you make, positions you have, name and fame, everything goes away when we die. Naked we came and naked we go. How relieving life will be if you know that life is short and death is inevitable. Naked we came and naked we go. And the third fact the Bible speaks here is that eternity is real. Eternity is real. We see in Daniel chapter 12 verse 2. Daniel chapter 12 verse 2. Listen to this carefully about the eternity that even the Old Testament testifies. 
and many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt some will rise to everlasting life and they will live forever and some to everlasting contempt which means everlasting death or everlasting suffering the suffering in hell is much worse than the suffering in this world and the bible tells that that will be everlasting eternity is real all people who are here and every person in this world will face eternity either judgment to eternal life or judgment to eternal contempt but the bible also reveals that who will rise to everlasting life and who will rise to everlasting contempt who will live their life eternally in hell and who will live their life eternally in heaven the bible tells in gospel of john chapter 5 verse 24 gospel of john chapter 5 verse 24 truly truly i say to you now when the lord jesus said truly truly generally whatever lord lord spoke is all true but when the lord jesus says truly truly what i'm saying is very important pay attention to me don't take it for granted this is a serious thing that you must listen and what is it john 524 truly truly i say to you whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life believes him who sent me has eternal life he does not come into judgment but has passed from death to life now you need to understand that jesus the lord jesus didn't say that whoever believes in me will have eternal life that's not the grammar here it says that has eternal life all those who believe in the lord jesus christ already have eternal life death is only a speed breaker which you cross to continue to live eternally in the presence of our heavenly father and it says that they have already passed from death to life no need to worry about death they have already passed and this passing away from death to life the bible has a phrase for that and it is called the resurrection of the dead the resurrection of the dead so much so it is it was important in the early church but today in the gospel preaching we rarely hear people mentioning about the resurrection of the dead that people will rise from the dead and they will live eternally but it was very much emphasized in the early gospel preaching let me show to you some verses from the book of acts which is a testimony of how the apostles witnessed the gospel of the lord jesus christ for example you see gospel uh, the book of acts chapter 4 verse 2 the book of acts chapter 4 verse 2 the context here is about peter and john being at the temple and they were testifying to the gospel of christ now listen what it says over here and as they were speaking to the people the priests and the captain of the temple and the sadducees came upon them greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in jesus the resurrection of the dead do you see that they proclaimed in jesus the resurrection of the dead we also see in the book of acts chapter 17 verse 32 where paul was preaching at athens now see what he says in acts chapter 17 verse 32 
Now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, which means Paul was preaching about the resurrection of the dead in the gospel, which is almost absent today, but it was very much prevalent in the early message of the gospel of Christ in the early church. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, but others said, we will hear you again about this. They were very intrigued to listen to the resurrection of the dead. Paul before the council in Acts chapter 23 verse 6. Now you see what it says over here. Acts chapter 23 verse 6. Now when Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, he cried out in the council, Brothers, I am a Pharisee, a son of Pharisees. It is with respect to the hope and the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial. Paul says here that the reason I am in prison, the reason I am standing before you, the reason I am facing persecution is because of my witness to the resurrection of the dead, which is very interesting that we see emphasized in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, on what is this resurrection based upon? Now, you need to understand. Let's come now to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And we will see a couple of verses over here, which will be a great encouragement to us. Right? 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Now, a lot of people think that this speaks about the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Definitely, it speaks about the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. But much more, it speaks about the resurrection of believers. There is a reason why Christ died on the cross. There is a reason why Christ rose from the dead. If we only celebrate the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ without making application of his resurrection from the dead into our own personal lives, then we are disconnected from the life of the Lord Jesus Christ, which we see presented here. So there are a couple of uh, applications that I would like to bring out from the 1 Corinthians chapter 5, chapter 15. The first factor that I would like to highlight from this beautiful long chapter is that the resurrection of the dead, that is believers rising from the dead physically, is based on the fact that Christ historically rose from the dead according to the scripture. The resurrection of the dead is based upon the historical fact and what is the historical fact? Jesus rising from the dead is not a myth. Jesus rising from the dead is not an assumption. Jesus rising from the dead was not a dream that someone dreamt and they came up and said that Jesus rose from the dead. No, Jesus rising from the dead was an historical fact. And Paul was not attributing to experiences here at the first. He was attributing to the truth of the scripture. If you believe that the Holy Bible is the word of God, then the Bible testifies that according to the scripture, Christ should rise from the dead. We see that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3 to 4. Now observe the words here in accordance with the scripture. Paul was pointing that the word is truth. And according to the word that is truth, there is no lie in it. This is what has happened. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 3 to 4. For I delivered to you as a first importance. Anybody remember this phrase? For as delivered to you as a first importance. Right. Very good. 1 Corinthians 11. 
And he says here that what I also received that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scripture. He died because scripture says that Christ must die. And the scripture is the truth. And now he says that, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scripture. Twice it is mentioned here in accordance with the scriptures. In accordance with the scriptures. Now listen carefully. Paul begins with the testimony of scripture because there is no greater reliability than the word of God. There is no greater truth than the word of God. There is no greater trustworthiness than the truth of the scripture. And Paul was pointing to the scripture. The scripture says that Christ will die and rose from the dead. And that is an historical fact. Now listen carefully. No one will be saved if they don't believe in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. If someone says that Christ died and if they don't believe, I believe that Christ died for my sins. But I don't think so that he rose from the dead. That person is not saved. That person is not saved. The second factor that we learn from this passage is that, now listen carefully, the resurrection of the dead is based on the fact that Christ physically appeared to people after rising from the dead. The scripture doesn't just say that Christ died and he rose from the dead and nobody had an idea about it. The 12 disciples didn't know and the uh, early disciples didn't know. Nobody has seen him that he rose from the dead and they simply had faith that Christ must have risen from the dead and we believe it. Nobody has seen it but we still believe it. That's not what the Bible says. Now listen carefully. It is after pointing to the trustworthiness of the scripture Paul comes to experience. He did not place experience first. He placed the authority of the Bible first and then he comes to the experience. Now you see what he says in verses 5 to 8. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verses 5 to 8. And observe the word here which is used more than twice, thrice, four times appeared, appeared, appeared. It says here in verse 5 after he rose from the dead that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. Isn't this amazing, brothers and sisters? That he not only appeared to the twelve, but also to more than. It doesn't say that less than or about. It says more than. We have no count actually about 500. How many people did he appear? And all these people saw him physically. In the glorified body. Most of whom. Who are still alive. You know some say that it is an hallucination. But uh, it is medically proven that. Hallucination is only experienced by individuals. But not by a group of people. It is medically proven. That hallucination cannot be experienced individually. Uh, only be in the, in the experienced individually. But not by a group of people. But here we see that. More than 500 people have seen. And it is not an hallucination. Some of them are still alive. You can go and ask them. And they will testify. And then Paul goes further and says here that. Then he appeared to James. And again then to all the apostles. Again he appeared. Not even once. But more than once. And Paul testifies here that last of all, as to one untimely born, he also 
appeared to me. Even I am the witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, that he physically rose from the dead. So brothers and sisters, we have the testimony of the scripture. We have the experiences of the people which testifies to the fact. Now why Paul is proving that Christ rose from the dead? His concern is not to just prove that Christ rose from the dead. His concern is that if this is true, you will also rise from the dead. Death is not the end of life. There is life after death. Now Paul comes to a very serious statement after mentioning about the historical fact of Christ's resurrection according to the scripture and his appearance to the uh, disciples and to more than 500 crowd. And then he comes and makes a very serious statement here. And you know what is that? We see here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verses 12 to 13. What Paul argues over here is this. If there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised from the dead. That's a very serious statement that Paul makes. Why is he saying that? Because there was a false news in the early church that there is no resurrection of the dead. That is the end of life. And your life ends after you die. Like we see many people saying today. But Paul says that, how dare you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? Because if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ also has not been raised from the dead. We see here in verses 12 to 13. Now listen carefully what he says here. Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? Which speaks about the historical problem here that there were some people who didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead. Or they may be casual about that. But the problem today is that in the modern day generation, the problem is not that people don't believe about the resurrection of the dead. They simply pay a lip service. They don't live their everyday life by the fact that they are going to rise from the dead. Now that's a problem today. It's not that we don't believe, but we don't live our everyday life by the fact that there is the resurrection of the dead. If there is no resurrection of the dead, Paul says here, then not even Christ has been raised. The same thing he says in chapter 15, verse 16. Chapter 15, verse 16, it says that if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. It's a very serious factor about the resurrection of the dead. If you disqualify resurrection from the dead, you must also disqualify Christ's resurrection from the dead. Now, here is a very important statement that I would like to make based on these two verses here in 12, 13, and 16. And please repeat with me. Our resurrection from the dead is as real as Christ's resurrection from the dead. Do you understand this? Our resurrection from the dead is as real. It is very real. People don't think that it may happen or not. The people in the world may not believe it. They may mock at us. They don't have any hope. But we, people of God, 
should know that the resurrection of the dead is as real as Christ's resurrection from the dead. And if this is not real, then the resurrection of Christ is also not real. So in verse 4, the, the fourth factor is this. You know, the fourth one. I would like to read from 15, 14. Now listen what Paul says that again here. After mentioning that, uh, then Christ has not also been raised from the dead. If there is no resurrection of the dead, he says here that if there is no resurrection of the dead, then preaching of the gospel and believing in the gospel is in vain. The preaching of the gospel and believing in the gospel is in vain. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 14, and if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. Then why are we preaching the gospel then? What does the gospel say? You believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, your sins are forgiven, and you have the gift of eternal life. That is what we preach. That is what the mission of the church is. That is what is the great commission of the church. To preach the gospel and to see that people are saved. How can you say people are saved? When they repent of their sins and believe in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and have the assurance that they have the gift of eternal life. Bible says that it is vain. You are wasting our time. Today evening there is a gospel meeting. We are wasting our time preaching the gospel and asking people to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ if there is no resurrection of the dead. Now listen carefully what it says over here in 17 also. Again, in chapter 15 verse 17 it says that and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Which means, he says that if there is no resurrection of the dead and Christ has not been raised from the dead, and if Christ has not been raised from the dead, then your faith is futile. It is waste to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. You're wasting your time proclaiming and believing in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because salvation is dependent on the fact that you have to believe that God raised Christ from the dead. And if you believe that God raised Christ from the dead, then you must also believe that you in Christ will also rise from the dead. It's very clear in Romans chapter 10 verse 9. Romans chapter 10 verse 9. It says here that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord... And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. You must believe in your heart that God raised Christ from the dead. Have you seen that? Nobody has seen that. But what do we believe? We believe in two things. We believe in the testimony of the scripture. And there is no error in the Holy Bible and we believe that. And we also believe in the experiences of God's disciples who testify to the fact that Christ really rose from the dead. And now listen carefully here. One of the most apologetic argument that Christ rose from the dead is also the fact that all the 11 disciples out of the 12 were martyred. All the 11 disciples. And some people say that, you know, there are a lot of people also in other religions who are martyred. Now listen carefully. People may die for a lie. That is true. People may die for a lie. Believing that it is truth. Listen carefully. People may die for a lie. Believing that it is truth. But no one dies for a lie. Knowing it is a lie. If the disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ believed that 
Christ raising from the dead is a lie. And knowingly, they would never die. All the people in the world who may believe the lie and they are martyrs, they believe that it is true. And that's the reason they die. And that is a great evidence for us that Christ has risen from the dead. Now Paul goes further and gives a very serious warning if you don't believe in the resurrection of the dead based on the resurrection of Christ. Now listen carefully what he says in verse 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 15, 15, 15. He says here that if there is no resurrection of the dead, then we are telling that God is a liar. My goodness. If you don't believe that, then we are misrepresenting God as a liar. You see in verse 15 he says that we are even found to be misrepresenting God. Because we testified about God that he raised from the dead. Whom he did not raise, if it is true, that the dead are not raised. Wow. What a powerful, progressive argument that Paul is bringing over here. That Now listen carefully. He says that here. If the dead are not raised then Christ has not been raised from the dead. If Christ has not been raised from the dead, then we are fools and we are misrepresenting God to people because we are telling people that God has raised Jesus from the dead. So in other words, we are telling that God is a liar. Do you want to believe that God is a liar? You may say no. Then you have to believe that Christ was risen from the dead and God raised him from the dead. And if you believe that God raised him from the dead, you also should believe that the same God who testified that he will raise his son from the dead, he will also raise his people from the dead. Now here carefully, there are two important predictions by the Lord Jesus Christ, which we have to decide whether he is a liar or a person who spoke the truth. The first prediction that he makes over here is in Luke chapter 18, verse 32 to 33. <clears throat> Luke chapter 18 Verse 32 to 33, he says here that, For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles, and will be mocked, and shamefully treated, and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise. If you read the Gospels carefully, more than once Christ testifies and predicts, even before he died. Even before he went to the cross, Christ testified and predicted and prophesied that I will be handed over into the hands of the Gentiles and I will be persecuted and I will be mistreated and I will die. But on the third day, I will rise from the dead. Now listen carefully. Christ not only predicted about his own resurrection. If you come to John eleven twenty-five to 26... He also predicted our own resurrection. If he repented and believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. The Gospel of John chapter 11 verse 25 to 26. Now listen what it says over here. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Wow. Do you hear these people? Whoever believes in me. Though he die, there may come a time where all of us die. But listen to this carefully. If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, though you die, yet shall he live. And this is not the words 
of a man who was a liar. This is the words of the man who said that I am the way, the truth, and the life. And he said there that you will rise from the dead. And your resurrection from the dead is as real as my resurrection. The way when I predicted that I will rise from the dead. And when the time came on the third day I rose from the dead. There will come a time in your own life when you die. You will be resurrected physically to everlasting life. Wow. What a great hope and encouragement that we have as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he goes further and says that. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Okay. Now listen carefully. The first death he speaks about is physical death. Though he dies, yet he will live. The second death he speaks about is everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Means they will never spiritually die. Which means they will never remain in the state of eternal death. They will be forever risen. And then you know what he says over here? He says that, do you believe this? This is a question he asks actually. Do you believe? Do you really believe? Think about it. If you really believe, is your life driven by this fact? Everyday life driven by this fact. I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, we should ask God, Lord, open the eyes of my heart that I may see the glory, the beauty, the magnanimity, the eternal truth hidden in these words when it says that you shall rise from the dead. Tim Keller says here that, who is a very good pastor and author of a time, he says here that, now listen, he makes a very powerful point. If Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept all that he said. Which includes, you will also rise. That's what he said, right? If Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept all that he said. He also said that you will also rise from the dead if you believe in me. And then he says over here that, if he didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about any of what he said? You shouldn't believe anything of what he said if he did not rise from the dead. And if you do not rise from the dead, then all that he said is a shit, is, a, is nothing, is a... Is the scum of the earth. Just discard it. Don't read your Bibles. You're wasting your time. The issue on which everything hangs. Now listen carefully what he said. The issue on which everything hangs is not whether or not you like his teaching. But whether or not he rose from the dead. Your Christian life doesn't hang upon whether you like the teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ or not. Or whether... You believe that he rose from the dead. And if you believe that you rise from the dead, remember that when you die, you can die with a smile on your face. I don't know about others, but I know that if there is one person in the entire world who can die with a smile on his face, that's a Christian. Why? Because he knows that death is not the end of life. The sixth factor that we see in 1 Corinthians 15 is that if there is no resurrection of the dead, then believers of all are most to be pitied. <laughs> he says here that you are, the, you, are, you are pathetic people. You are people who should be pitied than anyone. Why? I will explain why. Why did Paul say that you are to be pitied the most than all the people, all the religions, all the atheists? You are the most pitied people if there is no resurrection of the dead. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 18 to 19, Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ, 
have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, if the earthly life is the only thing that matters to you, and if we have hope in Christ only in this earthly life, he says here that we are of all people most to be pitied. You know why? You know why? For example, think about this. When the whole world is enjoying the sinful pleasures, they're lying, they cheat, immorality, scam, corruption, everything. On one side, we teach that don't deal to temptations. Resist temptations. Overcome the pleasures of temptations. Don't succumb to that. Live a holy life. Live a godly life. Why should you do all these things? If death is the end of life, if there is no resurrection of the life, it doesn't matter whether you live a good life or a bad life. Isn't it? How does it matter if there is a person... In fact, I say that the people who are living a holy life are most to be pitied. Because they should be enjoy pleasuring like other... Enjoy the pleasures like other people. Why? Because this is the only life that you have. Do you see the advertisements? The ads when you walk on the street? Only one life. Get the best car. Only one life. Get the best pleasures. Only one life. Get the best house. Only one life. Live the best life. And even Joel Austin wrote the book, what? Your best life? Now. <laughs> Live the best now. That's what it matters because we have hope only in this life. Paul says that then we are to be most pitied because we are not enjoying the pleasures of sin like the rest of the people because we know that we have to stand before the judgment seat of God and give an account of our life, right? 2 Corinthians 5 and says that, remember that all those who die will stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account of what you have done in your body, whether good or bad. And that controls us, right? Lord, I don't want to do this because tomorrow I have to stand before the judgment seat of God. But there are a lot of people today who live their life losing sight of the judgment seat of Christ and they enjoy indulgent sin without any fear that you have to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And not only that, we also see that, you know what is one of the great hope of enduring suffering? Why don't we commit suicide, right? A lot of people commit suicide. Why don't we commit suicide? What is the hope that we have when we face suffering? Why? What is hope? What is the hope? The hope is that you suffer only for a little while. You know, I love uh, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10. You read that, actually. It's a very great encouragement. All those who are suffering, please listen to this carefully. Those who have no suffering, may God have mercy on those who are around you. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10. Okay? 1, chap 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10. Now listen carefully. You know, this brings so much of encouragement, life, and energy to me in my Christian living. You know what it says? 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10. It says over here that, and that you have suffered a little while. After you have suffered a little while. Do you see that? Your suffering in this world is only little while. Why? Because your life is a little while. <laughs> if your life is short, then your suffering is also then why do we think that it is wrong? Many people believe that life is short, but their suffering is long. How can suffering exist beyond your life? I don't understand that. Then your suffering is also short. If people are rejecting you, mistreating you, only for a little while. If people are taking advantage of you, only for a little while. If you are losing your money, losing everything, only for a 
little while whatever suffering you are having it's only for a little while and then you see what is the hope he gives peter over here after you have suffered for a little while the god of all grace has called you to is eternal glory in christ what is the hope of suffering why do we endure suffering because we know that this suffering ends with this earthly life and we are entering into eternal glory where revelation 20 says that there is no cry there is no weeping there is no tears there is no suffering there is no pain there is no death in the life eternal so whatever you are suffering you are suffering now and be bold to suffer suffer well don't be a coward in suffering be bold and fight a good fight of faith knowing that you will enter into eternal glory wow and all because of the resurrection of the dead brothers and sisters when you are tired of temptations tired of suffering remember that after you suffer a little while you will enter into eternal glory and why face the persecution for the gospel why face rejection for preaching the gospel why paul was in prison why the disciples of christ today so many around the world are suffering and we are praying for persecuted christians why we are wasting our time actually we are most to be pitied that's what i'm saying that we are most to be pitied if you are living a holy life and there is no resurrection of the dead we are most to be pitied if there is no eternal life and we are suffering here we are most to be pitied if you are making disciples proclaiming the gospel and suffering for that we are most to be pitied you are wasting your life that's what paul is telling over here and finally finally this is what paul is writing over here right listen carefully our resurrected body will be in some way like christ glorified resurrected body and that's what the scripture testifies and before i read 1 corinthians 15 which is a long passage you have to follow carefully in order to understand what kind of body i will have paul gives a description over here but before that i would like to highlight philippians chapter 3 verse 20 to 21 philippians chapter 3 verse 20 to 21 but our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a savior the lord jesus christ who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself do you listen what it says here it says that our lowly body which is a inferior earthly body will be like his glorious body the body that Christ promised to his disciples now listen carefully a lot of people think that we will rise spiritually and not physically there are so many people in the churches who don't think that the resurrection of the dead is about the physical resurrection the the earthly body which decays in the dust of the earth when you are buried and after you die god will bring flesh upon that and that flesh is very different from the earthly flesh and you will rise from the dead and our bodies will be like Christ glorified body now listen carefully what paul says now in 1 corinthians 15 42 to 49 1 corinthians 15 42 to 49 now follow carefully what kind of body we will have i'm reading from verse 42 so it is with the resurrection of the dead okay what is sown is perishable that is the earthly body is 
perishable. What is raised is imperishable. The glorified body doesn't perish. There is no weakness. There is no sickness. There is no decay in the glorified body. In verse 43 it says, It is sown in dishonor, but the resurrection body is raised in glory. It is sown, the earthly body is sown in weakness. The resurrection body is raised in power. The earthly body is sown in natural body. But the resurrection body will be a spiritual body. Verse 45 says that thus it is written, The first man Adam became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. Verse 46, But it is not that the spiritual that is first, but the natural and then the spiritual. God designed that we will, he will first create us as a natural body and then he will give us the spiritual body. And that is what we see the order. And we have to face death. We have to taste the physical body. And then we will get the spiritual body from heaven. In verse 47 it says, The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. 48. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. And now verse 49 it says, Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Do you see that how glorious hope that we see in the resurrection body, how beautiful encouragement that we see that the glorified body that is going to be experienced as is nothing compared to the lowly body, earthly body that we have here. And this is the order of God. Now, as we come to conclusion, now what is the application Paul makes out of all this in 1 Corinthians 15? What is the application of that? Have you ever thought about it? If there is no application to your present life now, it is waste to speak about this. You know what is the application? Now open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 15. You see now the conclusion that he makes after spending 58, 7 verses. Do you think 57 verses is a short passage or a long passage? It's a long, long, long passage. After speaking about such a long passage, now you see his conclusion in verse 58. Shall we all read this together? 15 verse 58. Therefore, now what is therefore here? The conclusion of what all is said above. Now read carefully. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Now, to whom did Paul write these words? To apostles? To pastors? Do you believe that this verse is written to the entire church? Now, what is it saying here? If, if Christ's resurrection is the fact, and if you are also being resurrected from the dead, if this is what it is, you know what it says over here? It says that church, be steadfast. Be immovable, be firm, be focused. And you know what it says? Always abounding in the work of the Lord. 
Who should always abound in the work of the Lord? Huh? Who? Pastors, right? <laughs> Elders, right? Who should always abound in the work of the Lord? If someone asks me, if someone asks you, if, if you ask me, if you go outside generally, if they ask you, what do you do? Then Devun Sevalona. What does it mean, Devun Sevalona means? Niku Seva? Ledu. Isn't it? I am in the Lord's work means what do you think? Oh, you are a pastor? You are an elder? So rest of the Christians are not in? They don't have any work. They what? They only work a housework? And also the work in earning the money. And in the church, who will be working? Who will be working? Pastors are supposed to work. I am not in the Lord's work. Where do you get that lie in the world today? I see that Paul says, you the church always should be abounding in the work of the Lord. And it says that always, that is consistently abounding. You know what is the meaning of abounding? You need to be active, proactive, excessively involved in the work of the Lord. Knowing that your labor is not going in vain. What does it mean? You know what you do outside may go in vain. Now listen carefully. Your money may go in vain. Your pleasures may go in vain. But remember that your work for the Lord will not go in vain and you shall be rewarded on the last day. And you know the same phrase working in the Lord is used for Timothy in the immediate chapter which we should be surprised actually. You see what it says over here. 1 Corinthians chapter 16 verse 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 16 verse 10 it says that when Timothy comes see that you put him at ease among you. For he is doing the work of the Lord as I am. Now, Paul is in the work of the Lord, right? According to this, he says that as I am, which means Paul is also in the work of the Lord. Timothy is in the work of the Lord. And the church believers are also in the work of the Lord. Ministry belongs to the whole people of God. Church is God's ministering people. And that's why Paul could say that. Now he didn't say these words. He gives a very strong exhortation. And he says here in Romans chapter 12 verse 11. And now this is not a pastoral epistle. He spoke to believers today. Okay. Now listen to this. Romans chapter 12 verse 11. You know what it says? Now listen carefully. Do not be slothful in zeal. Do you understand slothful in zeal? Don't be passive, lazy, sluggard. Don't be. And it says here, be fervent in the spirit. Serve the Lord. Devan Sevalonu Mandali Chalaga Undakudadu. You should be fervent in serving the Lord, burning like a red hot iron. You should be passionate to serve the Lord. Don't be sluggish, don't be distracted, don't be cold, don't be lazy. Now, these words will be suitable for pastors today, right? We don't think that. But Paul Romans is speaking to believers. These are for you, brothers and sisters, not just for us elders. You need to be burning for the Lord. How can I live for the glory of God? How can I serve the Lord Jesus? Why? Now, listen carefully. This is the only opportunity that you have in this world to live and die for the glory of God. In the later life, you don't have to live the way that you live now. 
in the later life that you don't have to serve the Lord as you do now. That's a different platform of service. But here, the service that you do is very different and you have one opportunity. I remember two words when I became a new Christian. I never thought about pastoring. Honestly telling you, I didn't know what pastoring is. You know, when I came to the Lord, I used to pray like this after I came to the Lord. In 1996, I came to the Lord. After my prayer, I used to say that in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. Now, who does this? Catholics does this. And you can understand, actually, the amount of illiteracy that I had that I came to the when I came to the Lord, which means I, don't, I didn't know what pastoring is, I didn't know what ministry is. The only desire that I had was that I wanted to know the Bible. I went to the Bible college immediately. My semester was starting at uh, September, and I joined in the month of August. I forced my uh, director saying that I don't want a degree, I don't care about that, I just want to come and sit in the class, and I want to learn. And I just went two months before, and I was sitting only with the desire that I want to know the Bible. Because I don't know anything about the Bible. Zero knowledge of the Bible. And the only desire I had was I want to serve the Lord, but no idea about pastoring, full-time ministry, part-time ministry, nothing I knew. I want to live and die for the glory of the Lord. And when I joined that, I remember a young man is actually A.P. Anil, who is the director of Back to the Bible, where GLC gathers now. And he came one day and told me, he was my senior, he told me that Stephen... I remember learning this, that when you die, let it not be so as if you never lived. When you die, it should not be as if you never lived. And after he spoke that, I got a very powerful conviction of the Lord in my heart. And I still remember that powerful conviction even now. Stephen, your life on earth is short. You have only one life and short time. That you want to do anything for the glory of God, for the welfare of people, only one life, short time, give your best. And I tell you, brothers and sisters, don't waste your life. I encourage you to read John Piper's book, Don't Waste Your Life. Job is good. Work hard. Earn money. Provide for your family. Your personal life is good. Work hard. Excellent life. But remember that. There is much more responsibilities that God has given us. Let us always abound in the work of the Lord. Now, what is the work of the Lord? This is what I say that. Anything that you do for the glory of God. Now, there are three G's that I want to add it here. Anything that you do for the glory of God, for the good of his church, and for the spread of the gospel of Christ is the work of the Lord. Anything that you do for the glory of God for the good of his church, for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, that is the work of the Lord. Your greatest rewards in the kingdom of heaven, if you believe there is resurrection from the dead, and there is this hope of eternal life and rewarding, then don't waste it, people. Don't know when you die. Remember, Christ rose from the dead. Remember, you will rise from the dead, and you will stand before the judgment seat of the Lord. Always be a burning in the work of the Lord now. Because in the future, your rewards, your eternal, gracious gifts of God depends on what you do in this world now. Knowing that your labor will not go in vain. And I want to conclude with uh, a 
the famous French infidel, atheist Voltaire, whose one desire was to wipe off the Bible from the entire world. And it is said that his own house was converted into a Bible house after he passed away. And Walter, he died in, 19, in 1778. He said to his doctor when he was dying, he said that, I will give you half of what I am worth. He was a rich man. I will give you half of what worth. If you will give me six months life, just give me six months, I will give away half of my life. Just give me six months. The physicians told him he could not even live six weeks. And he died mourning in despair. He died. Now listen to the same man in 1981, when Martin Lloyd-Jones, who was one of the great expository preachers of the last century, when he was dying two days before his death, he wrote with a trembling hand a note to his wife and children who were praying earnestly, Lord, please save this man, heal him. And with a trembling hand, he made a note to his wife and children, Martin Lloyd-Jones, do not pray for my healing. Do not pray. Do not hold me back from eternal glory. Do not hold me back from eternal glory. Who do you think can say this? Only a man who knows Christ can say these words. Abu Bakr, who was one of the first converts to Islam, he was... Uh, a very key figure in bringing revolution in Islam. And he was a father-in-law of Muhammad, the first successor of Islam after Muhammad passed away. And you know, it is said of him that when he was dying, and this is what he said to his daughter Aisha on the day of his death. You know what he said? Oh, my daughter, this is the day of my release and of obtaining of my desert. I'm going to leave this world. This is the last day. Now you see the observe what he says. If gladness, it will be lasting. Which means, if I go to heaven, I will be having eternal joy. If sorrow, it will never cease. If I go to hell,
knowing that naked you came and naked you go your temptations are for a little while your suffering is for a little while think about what matters for eternity live with eternal perspective and your earthly life will be very different shall we all rise to our feet and pray heavenly father we are fools so lord really fools Fools, because there are so many people in the world, they don't know the truths. And they live as if they have no hope. And we are fools here, hearing, knowing the glorious truths of the scripture. And live a life, O oh Lord, which is focused on self. What to eat, what to drink, when to sleep, how much to earn, what people have done to me or against me. Or temptations, sufferings. Is this what all life is alone? Don't we see that life is much more than grief. Life is much more than fun in the world. Oh Lord, you open the eyes of our heart to behold the glorious inheritance that we have. That we shall rise from the dead and will be clothed with the glorious body as our beloved Savior rose from the dead and was robed with eternal glory. And Lord, the life that we live now, knowing that our life is short, death is inevitable, and that we pass away soon, and naked we came, and naked we go away, and that eternity is real, may we not live a cheap life, O oh Lord. May we not live a low standard life. O oh Lord, help us to Live our every day which is worth dying eternally. Make us passionate people as your word says. Do not be slothful in zeal. Don't be distracted. Don't be lazy. But be burning for the Lord. Serving the Lord. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. Knowing that our labor will not go in vain. Those who love you, serve you. Even if you don't get rewards here. Attention here, appreciation here. Lord, there comes a time. Oh, we wait for that day when you look at us and tell us, good and faithful servant, enter into your master's joy. Oh, these are the words, oh Lord, we want to hear from your mouth. Not stand in shame and guilt and uh, contempt uh, when we go to heaven and stand before your judgment seat, thinking that we have wasted our lives living a selfish life. It's all about me, my family, and what I eat, what I drink, how I live in the future. Lord, may we not waste our lives because people of the world live like that. The Gentiles live like that because all that matters to them was the world. And that's why they think about what to eat and drink and about their future because they have no hope. They don't know about the judgment. They don't know about the eternal rewards. They don't know about the resurrection of the dead. But we, we are the children of God. Saved by the blood of Christ. Have the hope of eternal inheritance. How can we live like the Gentiles of the world, O oh Lord? For the Gentiles run after all, all these things. That's what you said, O Lord Jesus. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. We are kingdom people. We are people of righteousness. And let that be our focus. Revive us, O Lord, today. Open the eyes of our heart. Help us not to be cold and lukewarm. But live this one short life. And give a great shot, O oh Lord, for the glory of your name. 
In Jesus' name, we offer this prayer with thanksgiving. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to the message. We believe you have been greatly encouraged in your heart. Stephen David also writes articles that are relevant to today's generation. You may read them on his blog www.messageforourage.blogspot.com I repeat www.messageforourage.blogspot.com You may also email him at cstephendavid at gmail.com I repeat c-s-t-e-p-h-e-n-d-a-v-i-d at gmail.com Grace and peace be to you.